Hello everyone, welcome to Mind Your Works Unscripted, a series for candid discussions with less preparation and more conversation. I'm Jose Espinoza, and I'm here with my co-host, Nicholas Bremner. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I like how cheery you sound doing that. <laughs> so today, Nick, we're going to be talking about crunch. And this was your topic, so I figured the easiest thing for me is to throw it over to you and have you introduce exactly why we're covering this topic and exactly what it is. Yeah, sure. Um, so crunch mode or crunch time or whatever you want to call it is a really common practice in the video game and tech industry, basically where software engineers are encouraged, some would say forced to work extremely long, intense hours to meet release deadlines. And the reason why um, I thought we could talk about this today is because it was something that I actually learned about when I was doing research for our very first episode on the nine to five workday. And this is something that kind of organically came up as if a relatively inhumane work practice where people are you know, encouraged to work extremely long hours. And I found an article talking about how crunch mode doesn't work because it forces people to work beyond you know, 40 hour work weeks, which as we discussed in our first episode is really like the established norm for when productivity starts to decline after 40 hours or so. An additional thing that interested me in this topic was recently watching an episode of Patriot Act uh, with Hassan Minaj, where he talks about crunch mode in the video game industry. And so this is something that's been going on for a very long time. It's 2019. This episode was just released. So it's still a topic of conversation. So I thought it was yeah. it would be interesting to, to kind of address this and, and talk about it right now, since it's something that's been going on for so long and it, it's still relevant. I think that's a good starting point, the idea of talking about how it's timely right now, because it seems to be, I mean, I think the Patriot Act is a good example of, a, of how media has been covering things like crunch more frequently. Uh, of course, we'll link to the Patriot Act episode in the show notes so you can go watch it. We really recommend it. It's, it's funny and it's also very informative. But I guess we would first like to cover how long crunch has been around. I think the first time I became aware of it was circa 2005. And that was basically a spouse at EA, one of the major video game companies, actually put up a blog where they started documenting the experience of being married or, or being a partner to someone who was working during crunch at EA. And it kind of, I remember it being something that was lit a fire in the games community at the time, but I don't remember it making it out as far as other more recent stories have. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's obviously been around since before that, even that's just one, you know, it was kind mm -hmm. of raised to a part of the public, I guess, right? In a blog. Yeah. And, and obviously since then, I mean, we did a quick search and it seems like at least a few outlets have been covering crunch over the years. Uh, particularly Kotaku seems to have been covering for a few years at least. So at least for American media, it seems to have since kind of gone up in terms of ranking for importance for video game coverage. Yeah, and especially now that Hassan's show, Patriot Act, picked it up, which is a much more like mainstream show in general, it's on Netflix, um, and it's, it's pretty broadly watched. This suggests that, you know, this is a topic that is... I think becoming more and more important to the public. Like video games are generally becoming more important and more popular over time as well. And so it, it makes sense that, yeah. you know, gamers, as the population of gamers in society increases, obviously some of them are going to be concerned about um, or interested in knowing how their games get made and the working conditions under which these games get made. Yeah. So I guess let's give a few examples of what crunch looks like. So beyond just working for more than 40 hours a week, I think the the major part of it is that there there isn't really a determined endpoint for crunch. The idea is that it ends basically when the deadline is up. So as in the game comes out. 
So it seems from the little that we know, and it seems like there is some research going on in crunches, crunch can happen in lots of different ways and at different time points. But the the thing that kind of holds it all together is this idea of most of these people are not actually going getting compensated for working more over time. Yeah, totally. And that's, I think, the the worst part about it is there are a lot of professions that do work overtime, but they get compensated for that extra time they put in. I believe a lot of like video game employees are salaried. And so they get their salary regardless of how many hours they put in. But it's just a cultural norm. Uh, it seems like it's a cultural norm in the industry that just has been perpetuated over time to continue working these insane hours, like 85 hours a week in some cases, six, seven days a week and not getting compensated in any way. Right. Yeah. They don't like, for example, they don't make any residuals. Right. So there is they don't get any cut from the actual profits of the game after it's made. So right, there's not exactly. even this idea of like, hey, I'm going to work really hard, hit this deadline because I'm going to reap the rewards after the game comes out. Yeah, exactly. And so as a response to this, um, like these terrible working conditions uh, in Patriot Act, he mentions that some of these game workers are starting to unionize. And I mean, I find this really interesting because I've always associated with unions with manufacturing and yeah. it's it's like a very, very old practice when manufacturing workers had to start unionizing. And now we're seeing this come up again in a completely different industry of, of knowledge workers who are being taken advantage of. And, and I think that's the key, right? I think, well, closely related to how we talked about pay transparency on our last Unscripted and some of the things that we've been covering over time. The, the fact is that this has come back simply because workers need to find some way to have leverage as a group, since obviously there are lots of people who want to, who want to work in video games. Uh, so it's really easy for organizations to take advantage of people, right? If, if you don't kind of toe the line, we just fire you and we just hire someone else. So we could probably pay less uh, given that they don't have any experience in the industry, but they're willing to put in all the extra hours that maybe you don't necessarily want to put in because you want to have some sort of a life outside of work, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I think employers know that and they're taking advantage of employees' pride and passion for the industry and for the work to encourage them to put in more time that's unpaid. And, you know, that passion can only bring you so far until you start to burn out. Yeah, I, I agree. So if we step back from the idea that obviously this benefits these companies greatly, because the, the thing with this particular setup is that you set some sort of deadline for your project and then you work with the resources you have, whoever your full-time your full time staff is, up to the point where it's clear that the project will not be completed by the deadline. Then you hire up. So you hire all these temporary workers and then you crunch your entire workforce, right? So it's not that you hire up enough that all of a sudden everybody can continue working the same amount of hours, like just regular nine to five. And then you hit the deadline. You hire up just enough so that if you crunch everybody and grind them to dust, basically, you will hit that deadline. So obviously it's very clear to anybody who has any idea of how an organization wants to work, that this is the best way for them to do it from a profit standpoint, right? Let me clarify something with you though. Is it true that video game companies hire temporary workers or are these full-time salaried employees that they hire on and expect them to have a tenure of, you know, three, four years before they burn out and replace them? So that's the thing. I think because game development is so long and in the sense that I mean hiring up, it's that an organization like EA, or well, EA is a publisher at this point, let's say Rockstar, right? Who made Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption, really popular yeah, sure. games. They have like a stable full-time staff, right? When they hit development on a game, the way that I understand it is once you hit like, hey, we've gone through the concept process. We know we're going to be making this game. They will hire up for three-ish, four years, right? So it's not the temporary worker that we think like, hey, I'm hiring this person for like a few months because we have someone on parental leave, right? It's we're hiring up because we're now making this game. But then once the game is done, they'll just get rid of all these people and kind of shrink down back to their regular pre-game development status. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I see. So the studios kind of expand and contract based on the, the game development cycle. Yeah, so they're temporary, but it's temporary probably in the case of a few years. And and obviously, this is my understanding from podcasts, articles, etc. So we would love to hear if you know someone or personally work in the video game industry, if you've been part of this kind of cycle of a company kind of expanding to meet a project and then kind of contracting, like you were saying, in order to to kind of get back to the original weight that they were at, like the original weight class they were working in. Assuming that that's the way the industry is set up because that's what they think is probably most profitable, right? That tends to be the way industries are ultimately kind of arranged. It's we figure out some way to make the most money out of this and that becomes a norm. What do we think are the underlying problems of this setup, right? What is the, the, the fact that crunch is such an important and such a common part of video game, the video game industry? From an IO psych perspective, what are the problems we're seeing? Do we think that there are better ways to do this? I think the most obvious problem is a human problem that you're treating people like expendable resources. And I mean, what comes to mind first is obviously the ethics behind it. It's obviously a a very inhumane process and you just kind of burn people out, drop them and move on. From like an IO psych perspective, I mean, based on like the Taylor time motion studies that were done way back in like World War One era, we broke down manufacturing positions into like the smallest components, right? And realized you could improve efficiency that way. But then over time, they realized that, oh, there are, there are negative physical consequences to having people do this. There are negative psychological consequences. So in terms of physical consequences, there's repetitive strain injuries. In terms of psychological consequences, there are issues with boredom. There's issues with um, burnout because you've got repetitive work, right? This same sort of thing is happening here with crunch mode. You're, you're pushing people to the limit. I mean, the work may have a lot of variety. There may, it may be interesting, but after a certain point, you're going to lose any of those benefits that you previously had in terms of passion. Yeah. And you could imagine ideally what would end up happening is that probably would feed negatively into your individual performance. And it's probably making the organization overall less efficient. Well, this is something that I wonder about because clearly crunch mode is, is a cultural norm in the industry, but I'm wondering if, and I'm not an expert in terms of like operations or or business strategy, but I'm curious to see if companies have actually tried different models and pitted them against one another because it may be it may seem like using crunch mode is more efficient in the sense that you're you're throwing more man hours at a project. Um, mm-hmm. But in the long term, if you like implement better project management approaches and you plan ahead of time and you have like basically you treat your people better, have a more sustainable workforce. You're gleaning other benefits like organizational knowledge. You're going to have more experienced employees who will probably do a better job. You're treating them better. So each hour that person spends is a more efficient, more productive hour. And those are a lot of, we call them softer benefits that are harder to quantify. But if you pitted one company against another in terms of their operation models, I'm wondering which one would come out ahead in terms of profitability, like long-term. And, and I mean, of course, I think that video games are incredibly complex kind of logistical nightmare basically to make happen, right? You're pulling all of these different disciplines all somehow have to culminate in a single product, right? Yeah. Which I think is actually really unique in some ways. However, I do not know whether crunch is such a huge problem in other similar industries, for example, films. But obviously someone else has kind of tackled this problem and it makes it weird to me that crunch is so prevalent, particularly in something like video games. I have heard it is prevalent in animation as well, um, which probably has a similar sense to it, right? It's like a lot of different disciplines coming down together to make this single product. Right. There must be alternatives to this way of doing things, given that 
video games and animation, let's say, are not the only industries that deal with really complex logistical issues that you assume are what you would point to at the beginning and say, well, this is why crunch happens, right? There's a delay in this one department, which leads to a delay somewhere else. And obviously for us to meet the deadline, we have to kind of make a bunch of work happen all at once. Applying like a systems thinking approach where you're looking at the entire organization and trying to plan work structures appropriately would maybe help. I mean, I'm sure they're probably doing that. But I, I think a lot of this might come from competitive pressure from other like companies in the industry. And it's yeah. I think the sort of thing that because one company is doing it, other companies feel pressure to do it as well to, to meet certain deadlines and have to have that same uh, aggressive cadence when releasing a game. I, I do wonder if part of this is not just competitive pressure, but also inheritance, right? Probably what's happening here is a lot of the people who are leading teams across companies, probably there's some amount of cross-pollination. And if you're taught to do something one way and that's the way the industry does things, you kind of transpose or transfer that way of doing things everywhere you go. So you could imagine, you know, the top ranking executives at one company probably end up becoming top ranking executives at another company. And they kind of just bring with them the way that they did things before and then the way that they were taught, right? Yeah, that's true. And I think you raise a good point that as leaders go from company to company and they're, and they're used to doing this, it's going to perpetuate that work practice. One of the articles that I read um, in doing a little bit of research to, to prep for this episode, I, I read about the story of, of Dave Cutler, who is the person in charge of coming up with the Windows NT operating system. And mm -hmm. there was a lot of pressure and a lot riding on this project from Bill Gates. And Dave, the, the project leader, led by example and showed up at the office at 6 a.m. and worked until late into the night every single day of the week, seven days a week. As an employee working on this project, I would feel obligated to keep up with Dave, whether I'm compensated yeah. for it or not. So I think leadership and, and role modeling plays a big role here in terms of why this happens. Absolutely. So it's one of those where, yeah, the norms get established by the leaders and in turn that becomes organizational culture. You could imagine that transferring and becoming kind of like an industry culture. And that's really hard to combat. In previous episodes, we have talked about the importance of culture and how it kind of sets the tone for how things are done and trickles down to everything. And, and it seems like it's a pretty well-established one that crunch is just a thing we do in video games and development in terms of software in general. Yeah, so I mean, I guess a, a question to pose is, is unionization the only way out of this? At this point, it seems like it might be, given that it is such a strong stereotype um, or, or so strong uh, common practice in the industry. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the the way forward that I see, given that change is not coming from the top down. Ideally, unionization makes change come from the bottom up. Because the reality is that I know, and I mentioned this in our Patreon transparency episode, that there are alternatives to this sort of system out there, right? Smaller companies probably don't have to necessarily crunch in the same way, right? If, if there is a will from the five people who are this team that make up this software company to make it so that we only work nine to five, that's probably an easier change to implement than it is at a massive organization, right? Where you have much less say in how things get done. Sure. And I mean, the, the, the key difference I would say between working for a small development company, especially if you're a founding member and you're developing the game yourself versus working for a large publisher or studio that's part of a large publisher like EA is that when you work for a small development company, you may put in 80 hours a week, but you're doing that because you, it's your game. You're developing it. It's a labor of love. And then if it's successful, you're going to reap the rewards of that. Like a lot of indie right. game developers, you know, put in tons of hours, but by the end of their project, they're getting a cut of those sales directly. Whereas if you're working for a large publisher, you're not getting any of that. You're getting your salary. You're going home. You're helping them create something amazing. You know, a AAA title that's going to make lots and lots of money. 
but you're not seeing a cut of those profits like you already mentioned. So obviously this is a really complex issue and we're not going to solve it in a little unscripted episode, but I think this is probably a good time to maybe highlight a couple of our own key points that we might want to consider in the future when we start, I think, becoming more aware and, and in terms of crunch, because I think it's going to be something that's going to continuously come up in the news and we're going to be becoming more aware of all the issues that are underlying all these different industry practices. I think one takeaway I have after thinking about this is that cultural and industry norms and leadership practices seem to trump any concerns or difficulties that employees are going to have with their work. So as Iowa psychologists, we'd like to talk about how employee well-being is important, how we want to create a work environment that is fair, is equitable, and you know helps promote good like work-family balance and things like that, or work-life balance. But what's interesting to me and, and concerning here is that the industry norms in, in the video game industry and, and like common practices really just kind of steamroll all of those concerns uh, yes. that employees have directly. And a lot of the stuff that we study as our psychologists, it's like the, the momentum and strength behind this movement at the industry level is truly powerful. And any ethical concerns we have at the individual level don't really seem to matter in its wake. That is a very depressing takeaway, but I think a, a really true one. <laughs> Somewhat depressing, yeah. <laughs> well, the video game industry is like seems like a, a perfect example of that happening, right? This is the way that things are done, and it just doesn't seem to matter because we know, and I'm sure a lot of these managers and a lot of these employees know experientially, regardless of what the, the research says, that it does have a really detrimental effect on your employees and probably harms their future performance, right? Uh, I think one of the most interesting things in that Patriot Act video was they interviewed one of uh, a video game developer who was one of these large companies. And she mentioned that, well, we call people who have been in industry five years veterans because after five years, most people are burned out and they drop out of the industry entirely. Yeah, which gives you a sense of how difficult the work environment is. No one's getting their 30-year their you know, company watch or reward. My takeaway would be is to really consider... Uh, as an IO person, if you're in an organization somewhere, think about the implications of this kind of system on your pool for recruitment. So ultimately, it seems like the part of the reason why this is happening is because ultimately there's always someone younger, less experienced, willing to take less pay and willing to work the same amount of hours as that person that you're letting go of once uh, they become burned out. Yes, there is definitely a gain for an organization when you do that, right? When you pay someone less and when they're younger and they're willing to work all these extra hours for free. But consider what that's doing to your entire organization overall. You're losing experts in an area who have developed expertise over the years of working at this company and working exactly maybe on the engine that your organization uses or in the particular project structure you're, you're familiar with and the way that you approach projects in the future. You're losing all of that experience. So you're either losing them to other organizations where they're going to take what they've learned here in this probably awful environment and applied somewhere where hopefully they're having a, a better experience or you're losing them entirely out of the industry. So I think what's ultimately going to, what's been going to be showing up over the years in the video game industry, if this continues, is that you never get advancement in terms of the kinds of things that come with experience, right? Good leadership, good management tends to come a lot in terms of what we know from previous situations that we tried and didn't work. So you're always going to have this perpetually young, this perpetually inexperienced workforce and who are you going to be bumping to the top to be in the leadership positions if you continue losing these people to burnout? So it's, it's easy to think about the, the, what it's going to do now for your project, but think about the long-term effects on your organization. Yeah, those are really good points. Um, eventually, 
what I could imagine happening is, you know, if you don't have homegrown leaders in the industry who are able to actually remain in the industry, they're going to have to hire in from other industries and areas. And the leaders will not necessarily have that content or like domain expertise that someone who has experience in the video game industry working would actually have. And then as the you know negative perceptions of the industry um, tend to spread into the public eye, you're going to have kids who wanted to be a video game developer, work in the industry, learn about this, and then just say, nah, I'm going to do something else. And you're going to lose your, your recruiting pools. You're going to lose high caliber talent in this industry overall. And it may not be, you know, directly in the control of one recruiter or one person, but I mean, I think it is, it, it's good to be like a, a responsible steward of, of the industry and the organization by, by trying to think long-term and doing your, doing your part as small as it may be. Well, I think that's it for this unscripted. Uh, like we said, we'll put links in the show notes to the Patriot Act video. Maybe we'll also find some of these, uh, if I can find the links to the EA Spouse Journal and all that stuff, if you're interested in this kind of topic. I, I really recommend if you're a person who, you know, consumes video games, uh, being an informed consumer of the way that things are made, I think is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely post the uh, the link to the EA Spouse blog because that's really, I think, what started it all. And it's, it's a very interesting read. Sad, um, frustrating, but, you know, interesting for all intents and purposes. Well, as always, you can reach us at mindyourwork.io to listen to more episodes. You can also send us an email at mindyourworkpodcast at gmail.com. And if you do work in the industry and, and have experience with crunch mode or something like this, and uh, if you have a, a competing viewpoint or if you agree with us, we'd, we'd love to hear from you and, and learn more about your perspective. I'm Jose. I'm Nicholas. And we'll see you soon. Hey everyone, welcome to Mind Your Works Unscripted, a series for more conversation with less preparation. I'm Jose Espinoza, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Nicholas Bremner. You clearly didn't prepare because you skipped the tagline. <laughs> I said it. What are you talking about? <laughs> with, wait, isn't it more candid discussions with less preparation, more conversation? <laughs>